Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Uh, Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, we are speaking to Bob Loper. He's the Vice President of Disaster Response for Fresenius Medical Care North America. And this is the guy you want to know because he knows what to do in emergencies. And I am so glad you're here today, Bob. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Nice to talk to you again, Lori. I know. Well, I think it's really beneficial to explain the two types of disasters that you prepare for. So, there's predictable ones and and ones that you can't predict. Can you maybe uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, the ones that we know that are going to hit, of course, are hurricanes or ice storms or flooding after a hurricane or, or a fire or a drought coming. You know, we know those things are coming They're in the news, and they eventually will affect the clinic operations. So we have plans for those. Uh, even a pandemic, you know, we knew it was coming, so we knew we had to set up COVID units and things like that. Uh, so that's that's the if you would say the easy ones, at least we're ready for them. The ones that we're not ready for uh, that do happen that we still have to be prepared for, but they're, they kind of jump up at you. So like you know, tornadoes, get very little warning on a tornado. They can be very devastating. Uh, active shooter, civil unrest, uh, a power loss. And I'll tell you what, the probably the biggest one that we have is water interruption. The water is compromised right. from the watershed of the community, and we have to shut down because of that. Well, I mean, everything's water in dialysis. So if water is uh, contaminated with chloramines, I mean, the patient goes on dialysis, and it, and this is how I understood it. It splits the red blood cells, and then it releases potassium, and you can have a cardiac arrest. Is that a right assumption of how I just said how dangerous that is? Yes. We have carbon filters in every clinic, and we have two sets of them. So we have redundancy and carbon filters, and that filters out the chloramine and chloramines. So that prevents that uh, hemolysis from happening, what you talked about, the red, red cells uh, rupturing as hemolysis. So if we have a, a chlorine breakthrough uh, and we don't catch it, that would be a disaster. Now, we do check our chloramine and chloramine levels every four hours during dialysis. So we're always checking that. I think people often forget how many little details are in dialysis. You know, it's because uh, we don't hear of any water contamination um, very, very rarely. So um, I think I've heard of it twice in my lifetime um, uh, as being a patient for many years. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, how you prepare for like, let's say, uh, with with the pandemic. I mean, you you had to really create other facilities, right, for patients who have COVID. Yes, yeah, so one of the first things we had to do, once we realized we had to dialyze, at first we thought, well, they're going to stay in the hospital. We don't have to treat them. But then we soon realized it was much bigger than that, and they were going to be discharged to our clinics. And we had to set up uh, specific COVID clinics or COVID shifts uh, for those patients. We had, to, we had to cohort them together. So we don't want to mix a positive COVID patient on the same shift where we have negative patients. That's that's the biggest thing we had to set up. Where are these patients going to go uh, and, and what clinic in town is going to handle them? Either, either, we either set up full clinics, you know, two or three shifts a day that handed only COVID patients. We have a bunch of those. Or a, a shift at the end of the day of a particular clinic in the, in the, the city that's mm-hmm. going to handle all the patients. So, so they're all cohorted together. That's the main thing to do. 
Right, just to be able to. And one of the things I found fascinating, because I do remember Hurricane Katrina. And uh, tell us a little bit about how you respond to like a, a storm of a size of a hurricane. Like what's all the preparation? What are you guys doing to be prepared? We do a lot. <laughs> a lot more than people may realize. I know. I know. It's what I, I'm curious. <laughs> you do a lot. So if we know a big storm, I would say a Category 3 or higher, or there was a big flood or some major disaster that's going to wipe out a bunch of clinics, then we uh, activate our our incident command teams. So we have seven specific teams that are all on standby at all times throughout the year. And uh, I will you know, decide which team goes in depending on where the storm is. And, and then what we also do, if we know there's going to be a lot of infrastructure damage, we know we're going to have power and water and gasoline outages, we will stage uh, diesel tanks, like 10,000-gallon diesel and gas tankers, water tankers, full stage uh, generators and trailers that can run clinics. We bring in armed guards. We have a dedicated arrangement, exclusive arrangement with men in black, which is our armed guards going to use during disaster. And I can talk more about them later, but they've been very, very helpful for us over the years. Uh, so we have all these things ready to go. And, and what we do, we stage it. So for instance, if a storm is going to hit Jacksonville, we would stage 100 or so miles away, like in Lake City, North Panhandle, Florida, and start bringing all of our assets in, find a, a clinic along an interstate or some big parking lot. We might have to camp for a day. And then as soon as it clears out and safe, we're, we're going in. So we are in that, that disaster zone probably way before FEMA and anybody else because we're already champing and chomping a bit to get in there. Uh I remember when uh, Hurricane Katrina, you, Fresenius and providers were more prepared with going in and setting up generators. And I do recall a story of, um, you know, you were the, the dialysis unit was the only lights on anywhere. And that can wreak havoc where people are like, oh, I'm going there. That's why you need the armed, um, armed guards, right? Because yeah. if it's in a disaster, it's the only place that's got services. Yeah, we have the lights on or a medical facility. Uh, people get very desperate when there's no power and it's dark out for a couple of days and no water. Uh, so we do have to have on guards. But I'll tell you one thing about Katrina. Uh, we wouldn't do that again. Uh, we learned that when there's a major evacuation called, we need to evacuate. Uh, staying there seemed like a very heroic thing to do. But when we look back on it and did a lessons learned, we're like, you know, because we stayed, the patients stayed and they all were put in harm's way. So we don't we don't do that anymore. Okay. We it, it's, we're mandatory evacuation. We get out. We close down. We evacuate, but then we're right back in as soon as it's clear. When you evacuate patients from a city, where where do they go? Do you house them, or do they have to find housing? Yeah, yeah. every patient has to have a written emergency plan, uh, just like every clinic has an emergency mm -hmm. plan. Uh, how they're going to respond. We require every patient to have a plan. It's really a pretty brief one pager. You know who, what, when, where, and how. You know who, how are you going to keep in? How are we going to keep in touch with you? You know what are you going to pack? Where are you going to go? How are you going to get there? You know we put a lot of onus on them. They they have to be ready and and have support services. So uh, some of them say, well, I'm going to go to a shelter. What what happens where they get in trouble is they change their plan, which which is fine to do, but they don't tell us. Oh. Uh, and then they evacuate like hundreds of miles away. We can't find them. And we spent a lot of time looking for them. We didn't know that they went to the next state or somewhere else. So the main thing we say to them is just please keep in contact with us. 
we'll be trying to find you after a storm. And, and they usually have, um, you know, the different networks and they have basically phone numbers and services that are out of the area that patients can call or email, right, to say, hey, I'm here. Um, it's, it's, I guess the phone systems aren't like the olden days, right? Like, um, we're not stuck in the, in the wall anymore. They're with us. And do the cellular lines usually go down doing these disasters as well? They, they do. Yeah. Sometimes oh. they go down they're a bit challenging. Texting works a lot better. But okay. Sometimes the cell towers are down. Now we have, uh, first net phones, the, our, our, our response team. So we have the AT&T first net, first responder phone, just like the police and firemen have. We were the only healthcare company granted access to those phones uh, because we proved to them that we basically are first responders. So we, that does give us priority on the cell towers, but the patients may not get through right away. And uh, that's why we tell them when you can call us so we know where you are. Now we do have an 800 number, the uh, Fresenius uh, Patient Emergency Hotline, uh, 800-262-1297. That's man 24 7, 365 days a year. It's really the on call for our peritoneal and on home therapy patients. But during a disaster, they also take our emergency calls. And, and what we do, we'll, we have a program called a disaster tracker, and we submit into this tracker all the clinics that are closed, or who's on generator, who's on water, or how long you're going to be closed, when you're going to reopen. We send that out. We send it to the government. We send it to the networks. We send it to to this call center, so when the patients call, they can see where you are, and they can look on a map and see which clinic nearest to you that's open and you know scheduled in that direction. And do all the different dialysis companies work together during this time? Like, do you all is it all hands on deck sometimes? Because it might be one private facility that um, you know is out. <laughs> I mean, they they obviously got to work with other organizations. Yeah, yeah. Some of the small independents don't have the support programs that we have and we we'll we'll dialyze anybody that shows up at any time uh you know if they have records great if they don't we'll try to find what their prescription is uh but yeah we all work together a lot of the a lot of the larger companies do a lot of the same things that we do uh and some in different scales than others uh but yeah the independents off, often are the ones that struggle a bit and we do help them out one of the main things to do is we tell everybody to join your local healthcare coalition. And they do drills in a community. And that's really important that we involve in those drills in, the, in each local community. Well, and, you know, we're learning so much because, um, you know, you said earlier, an active shooter. I mean, I, I can't even believe that's actually, I mean, I, I know it's a reality. But, um, you know, you just can't anticipate all the different types of emergencies and if you're sitting on dialysis and uh, that happens i mean as a patient you need to know how to 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 help yourself <laughs> um and yeah, yeah. It, it's very challenging uh we created a tabletop we have tabletop drills for a lot of uh, potential disasters that we go over with our staff and we have we did a video on active shooter on, on how to respond to it and really you want to you want to you want to hide and run away. You, know, you you want to lock down and lock all doors and you know try to prevent them from going anywhere else in the build, building. Is what we try to do. Okay. But every case is quite unique, as you can imagine. It's you know it's it's amazing. It's you think you've heard it all, and then oh well, I guess I haven't. Um, how how long does it take typically for a dialysis facility to to reopen after a disaster? Just maybe um, you know an average. Well, 
most of our clients, over a third, have generators and switches that they can accept a generator, and they can be up and running quite quickly. Uh, so it all depends on how severe the damage is. I mean, if we obviously have roof damage and the roof blown off or something, we're going to be out for a couple months. But for the most part, if there's power failures, we bring in generators. If there's no water, we bring in water tankers. Uh, we're usually down for a day or two and get them back up and running. So it's not that long, uh, and we you know try to make it real important to the patients to keep in contact with us so we can tell you when we're up and running where to go. Right, because um, and then when you have like a snowstorm or something where patients are homebound, they can't they can't move. Um, they really need to know how to do like the three day um, emergency diet. There's a lot of different things that you have to do if you can't be dialyzed for a while, and we can post some of that information um, along with this interview so that you're prepared. Um, um, so. You know, don't eat too much potassium if you can't get to dialysis right away, right? Right, and watch your water intake and, and also salt. Uh, so we have on our ResiniusKidneyCare.com disaster response uh, website a lot of material about emergency checklists and uh, renal diet uh, list and things to do, what to bring, things like that. Well, and you know, we're, we all become so complacent because I was thinking about it the other day and I normally always put my shoes by my bed, right? And the reason for that is we, I live in California. Well, it's earthquake. And the first thing you want to do is put your shoes on <laughs> if there's an earthquake. I mean, because there's glass and, you know, and and I just like, oh, I don't need them. And I'm like, wait a second, Lori, you do need shoes by your bed always. Um, because that's uh, and, and having a plan because, uh, um, you know, we uh, I lived through the 1993 earthquake. And, you know, we had um, a lot of damage at my house, not as significant as some people. But it's pretty pretty scary when your house starts shaking, and you gotta prepare ahead of time because you don't always think uh, what to do. And I have a little, um, I have like a little plastic bag with a battery and um, you know radio and different things that I need, and then I have my medicine that's easy to grab. Um, if I need to leave. So uh, things everybody has to consider, like you said, get involved in disaster preparedness and make sure you um, you know, can get everything you need out the door quickly. Um, uh, I wanted to just because it's top of line right now, you're dealing with a lot of fires in Northern California. How are you in, in, in the West? Um, is that impacting any of the facilities or is the news well, just? <laughs> yeah, no, it's real bad. The air quality is real bad. Uh, we, we haven't closed any clinics yet, but we brought in scrubbers. So these are big ionized carbon uh, scrubbers that will scrub the smoke out of the air in our clinics. Okay. Uh, and we bring two or three of those in. And, and of course, people have to wear we're while wearing masks anyway. Uh, but we want to keep the quality of air uh, in the facility as best we can. We, we reduce the fresh air intake uh, cut down to about like 5%. So we're not trying to bring in that, that fresh air that's smoky. Uh, so that's the main thing that we do. And, uh, uh, you know, if we're, we're to see the, the path of the fire going towards where people live, they have to evacuate and then we ship them to another clinic or tell them where to go. Or we had in the past had to close clinics uh, on, a, on a temporary basis and move the patients around. So it is very challenging. It's, um, I know, it's just, it's just terrific. And um, maybe uh, share a little bit about home patients and what they need to do. Sure. Now, home patients really need to have an extra two or three weeks of supplies on hand. 
And I know we say that, and, and the supplies that they have to have at home can easily fill up a room, and they don't like having all those supplies. But particularly during hurricane season, we, we tell them, please have extra supplies on hand. Uh, and also, you want to have, uh, if you're on, like on next stage where you have these pre-filled bags that they use for training and use for emergencies, you want to have those ready. And what happens sometimes, the patient will say, well, it's I'm not going to order supplies this month. I'll just use my stock, my backup supplies. Then all of a sudden, a hurricane comes, <laughs> and they don't have the backup supplies. Right. So we tell them, that, you know, keep your keep your power levels up. Make sure you have backup supplies. Another thing that we learned, and this was probably from Maria in Puerto Rico, we had, and I flew down there the Monday right after the storm hit. We had 450 CCPD patients. This is continuous cycler peritoneal. Mm-hmm. We're running a cycle that runs on a machine that needs electricity. Well, when the power goes out, you can't run that machine. So we tell everybody, okay, go to CAPD, mm-hmm. continuous ambulatory, so it's gravity-fed. Uh, and they said, okay, we'll go to CAPD. Well, guess when you have 450 patients using CAPD supplies for two weeks, you're pretty much out of CAPD supplies. And, and we got into a panic with uh, uh, very, very low levels of CAPD supplies. We had to charter a plane to come in to San Juan with pallets of CAPD supplies, uh, and which we did. Now, in the meantime, we told the patients, bring your cycler into the clinic where we have power to their generators and, and bring your CCPD su- supplies with you and get dialyzed three days a week in our clinic. And that's helped uh, save the inventory of the CAPD supplies. Right. That's something that we learned, and we do that all the time now. We say, well, if you don't have power at home and you're running low on CA, bring in bring your CC supplies into the clinic. Or you need an X-Stage machine, bring it into the clinic, and we can and, use and our power source. Well, and that's, uh, you know, it's we're so dependent on power. And, you know, you just think of all the things you can't do once the power is out. And um, I was on peritoneal for nine years, and we did have some power outages. And luckily, I was trained on PD, so um, I could switch to it, which is, um, it's actually my home dialysis treatment option, um, my favorite. Uh, but it is, it's, um, and then if you don't have one little one little piece of the pie that helps connect or something, you can't do it. I mean, it's all in the details, isn't it? Um, it sure is, yeah. <laughs> And I'm, uh, you know what, if, when you're speaking, Bob, all I can think of is like one of those action-packed movies. <laughs> and, you know, it's uh, like a, what was that recent movie where um, the storm was coming in and everybody's getting ready. And and it, it gives me a lot of confidence because I have to say, I think um, the dialysis industry is probably more prepared than any other industry. Am I right? Well, you know, you're, you're probably right because First of all, we're required to have emergency plans updated annually for every clinic. And then CMS also um, supports a, a, a company called CASER, Kidney Community Emergency Response. And the CASER team is responsible for making sure the dialysis community is prepared and making sure that they can respond properly. So I represent the Zinnias on CASER we have calls every month just routinely, and then we have calls every day when there's a disaster coming or, or after disaster. And one of the first things they'll say to us is, how many patients are unaccounted for? You know, Presenius, Davida, BCI, how, how many patients have you not found yet? So we make that number one priority is we have to get a hold of every patient as soon as possible. I always say account for all patients at two levels. Account for them that you found them and then get them in a chair. 
Just because you're right. found doesn't mean they're safe. They need to get in a chair. Yeah. Right. No, it is. It's. I know hospitals have uh, plans to move patients out, but really, kidney disease is the only chronic treatment that takes such serious maintenance. Like you know, for so many people. Um, that has to be done a minimum of three times a week. So um, you make me feel very um, proud that <laughs> that all of this is in place. Um, so what are some of the lessons that you've learned or insight that um, you want to share with the community before we wrap up? Well, one of the things that we that's always an issue is we tell the patients, answer your phone. After a disaster, after an event, We'll be calling you, like I said, to find out where you are and make sure you're safe and get you in the clinic. Uh, but answer your phone. And what happens is we're calling from our phone at home or our cell phone, and they don't recognize the number, and they don't answer it. Right. And we'll finally get into our clinic two or three days later and call them again, and they'll answer and say, hey, we're trying to call you for three days. Oh, yeah, but we didn't know who that was. So we didn't answer it. So <laughs> <laughs> please, we always say, please answer your phone, number one. Please tell us where you're going. If you're going to a shelter, if you're evacuating, if you're going to a friend or neighbors or going out of the state, you know, let us know. Uh, we always say evacuate tens of miles, not hundreds of miles. You mm-hmm. don't want to just head, you know, hundreds of miles away and then not have a place to land to get dialysis. You have right. to, we have to pre-plan and learn where you're going. Well, you know, I um, I think we have a disaster on our hands and it's uh, these robocalls that are trying to get me to update my car maintenance. And I don't know what it is, but I mean, they I mean, they call from all parts of the country and I get calls. Like you said, I think it's somebody I'm, I need to speak to and I'm not sure. And I pick it up and they're like, if you need to increase your car warranty. And I'm like, do people really, really buy that? I mean, you know, I mean, I've literally got like 20 calls this year. And um, and so uh, we need to. That's a crisis. That's a disaster. We need to put an end to that, right? Because that makes people not answer their phones after you've gotten yeah, like yeah. twenty of those phone calls. Well, um, uh, can you give the website again for the disaster, uh, um, so people can have that on hand, and we'll also post it in the link on the page. Yes, it's uh, com and forward slash disaster. Uh, and you'll see everything that we have for the patients on disaster. Well, and I think it's so true, Bob, is that, you know, what is it? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And if you just prepare a little bit. And I have to tell you, one of my favorite things that I have is um, on my phone, there's that little emergency um, where you can put all your data in and all little details that you have. And maybe people could put their dialysis prescription in there. Um, there's notes and everything like that that's all there. And so if you ever uh, – and there's also a place to put your medication and who to call. So if you're not thinking clearly, um, uh, it's a good place to store it because I think the majority of people have their phone attached to them at all times. So um, <laughs> – That's a good point, too. Uh, we always tell people, carry your, your dialysis ID wallet card. So we have these cards – that says I'm a dialysis patient and here's the name of my clinic, the phone of my clinic, the name of my nephrologist, you know, the nephrologist's phone number, and then you might have some brief descriptions of what medications you're on. But that you wouldn't believe how many patients don't know that. They would call me and I would say, what clinic do you go to? Well, you know, the one by the church downtown. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we have to kind of find out where they are. They really need to know their clinic 
uh, that's that's almost as important as answering the phone is know where your regular clinic is and, and have that contact information. Exactly. It's so true. Well, hopefully we won't have um, many disasters up there. Maybe we'll just have a disaster-free uh, couple of years because I think COVID has put it, gave us all a run for our money and we're tired and we need a break. I would love that. Last year was pretty horrific with all the storms uh, in the Gulf Coast right during COVID and you know, one after another. It's it's crazy. I mean, um, and, uh, you know, it's it's I've seen um, the dialysis industry grow over the years with disasters. And, um, you know, it's been pretty remarkable to see how much planning is involved and to save lives. Um, uh, kudos to you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, we are. We're all over it. We're ready to go at any time. We have all of our folks that are on our teams have their to go bag. You know, at the, at the garage door, ready to grab and run, you know, whenever we need to. Well, that's, it's, um, it, I'm sure that gives everybody a sense of security. So all the people, family members listening, um, you know, do your part because uh, the dialysis communities are doing their part to protect you. Uh, you need to do your part and know your clinic and, and get all your uh, disaster plan in place, uh, share it with the facility um, so you can be safe and make it through um, a trying time. But uh, you got a lot of support around you. So, Bob, are there any disasters that are coming up, or is it is it a slow time? Well, right now, we are watching tropics very closely. We're getting near the peak of hurricane season, so that's the main thing we're worried about. But outside of the, the uh, firestorms, wildfires out west, uh, you know, we're just making sure if anything's coming our way as far as a hurricane. Now, even with Henry over the weekend, Henry, the one that went to New England, you know, we had... Uh, some calls going on every day and getting people ready. You never know how bad it's going to be. It's and then it's going to be a you know if it's uh, winter's coming and then you got a whole other ball of wax with snowstorms and uh, power lines down right. from ice and uh, um, you know uh, Bob, I think you have job security. I'm just guessing here, but I don't think the disasters <laughs> are going away. So we all need to be prepared. That's exactly right. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.